following program is produced by the Align in the Sound team. If you like what you hear, please stick around at the end of the show. To find out more, contact us and contribute towards a positive future. Joining us, uh, we have live in studio Sid Riley, who is a vermiculturist from Global Warming. You, worming, sorry, you may remember Sid. We had Sid on the show about a year ago, telling us everything about worms. And every time I spin my compost bin, I hear Sid's voice in my ear going, "You're traumatizing the worms." <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Sid, you stuck with me on that one. Oh, and then we also have joining us uh, live by phone Paige Davis, who is a Tarago resident, and they are members of Catty, which is working to stop the building of this horrible incinerator in Tarago. And I think I'll just read a quote from Paige Davis here. She says, Having an incinerator isn't going to stop the rubbish that's at the bottom of the Marianas Trench. In fact, as far as I'm concerned, it will make it worse because that rubbish didn't come from an incinerator. That rubbish was produced by companies who will continue to produce plastics and waste. And that is our biggest issue. How do we deal with all of this waste? So welcome to the show, Sid. Welcome to the show, Paige, and please, I would love to hear about the uh, situation with the incinerator and what Cathy's doing about it. Yeah. Oh, thanks, for, thanks for having us. Do you want to go first, Sid? Uh, no, you go first, Paige, but thank you. It's <laughs> great to be here in the studio. Well, yeah, thanks for having us. Um, we're just trying to really raise awareness of this issue because um, as far as we're concerned, New South Wales government's kind of been trying to get this incinerator... Um, proposal approved by stealth and uh, we've been trying to raise awareness of it. So what uh, is being proposed at this point is Veolia, which is a French multinational company. Um, They're proposing to build a waste-to-energy incinerator um, in Tarrago and it sits in the uh, Goulburn-Mowari council area, but cynically it actually sits right on the border of uh, the Queanbeyan council area too. And for those of you who don't... um, know where Tarago is. Uh, Tarago is really 35 kilometres uh, from the ACT. It's really that simple. So um, the Veolia is planning to build this incinerator, which will burn 380,000 tonnes of waste each year, and that'll include plastics and municipal waste, commercial, industrial, construction and demolition waste from Sydney. Um, and the, the incinerator will run for 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, for the lifespan of the incinerator, which is 30 years. And during this time, um, it's going to be spewing toxins, um, toxins out, and um, we believe it's a bad idea generally. And um, we're trying to raise awareness so that people in the ACT understand that it might be in Tarago, but this has the real very real potential to affect everybody in the southern tablelands all the way to the suburbs of Canberra. We've done, uh, we've got, had uh, plume, predictive plume plots produced, which are done on a real-time, real-time weather. Um, and uh, we've got plenty of plumes that go right over the suburbs, particularly of northern Canberra, of northern ACT. So uh, we, we want this stopped. And uh, we'd like everybody to uh, rally round to have this stopped, um, particularly noting that the ACT um, has banned incineration within its borders, and yet the New South Wales government cynically is putting one on the border that will affect the, affect the residents of the ACT anyway. Yeah, yeah. So let's get to the core of it to start out with. And what is rubbish? I mean, what is it that they're going to be burning there? Yeah, that's that's a really good point because I guess as Paige said, 
What's really important here is we're talking about Sydney's waste. So they're loading Sydney's waste, compressing it in, in containers, shipping it by rail over 200 kilometres to Tarrago, and then unloading it with massive forklifts, which only a professional and highly trained person, Scott Morrison, could operate, and putting <laughs> it on trucks and then taking it another seven or eight kilometres to take it to burn around Tarrago. And the incinerator is about five kilometres as the crow flies from, from where I live, from where my house lives, where I live and my family. So they're talking about only burning non-recyclable waste. Um, in theory, I guess most waste can be recycled. But I don't know whether they're just talking about the general waste stream, whatever ends up in those bins, which we know is a big mix of compostable material, plastics and things like that. But we really don't know enough about it. Uh, they're assuring us that the waste will only come from Sydney. But again, most Canberrans probably aren't aware that a, a very large amount of Canberra's waste is already going by truck every day from Canberra across the border, across country roads with massive potholes to end up at Tarrago. And to take a step back, I'm not sure if many people realise at the moment, but Violi is new is not new to the Tarrago community. They've been out there for about 20 years, as, as long as what I have. I remember when I first moved out to Tarrago, they were talking about this brand new facility they wanted to build using this massive old mine site just outside Tarrago to fill with rubbish. Uh, the mine site is, is quite degraded for sure. It was abandoned. It was a lead zinc copper mine. It's 250 metres deep, uh, 800 metres across, and now it's taking Sydney's waste. And back, the initial proposal was about 300,000 tonnes per year. And the community sort of thought, well, I guess this will be good for jobs. They say there's not going to be any odour and things like that. Well, now they're taking 1.1 million tonnes of waste per year from Sydney, a huge chunk of their waste, and taking Canberra's waste as well. So it's not like we don't know Veolia. We're already impacted about from them on a daily basis. And we'll surely go into that in more detail a bit later. But back to your question, their waste, they're calling it non-recyclable waste. But again, <laughs> what's that really mean? Convenient disposable plastics, really, isn't it? Exactly right. And the fact is, 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 I'm sure throughout the life they're talking about 380,000 tonnes per year, but year by year the plastic proportion will grow. So it might only be 15% initially, but it could be 100% by the end. And the higher the plastic content, the more dioxins and more of those terrible pollutants are going to go into the air and go into our food waste, our food streams and also our water supply. Yeah, so it's a bit of greenwashing, is it? So well, when we say greenwashing, I guess we are very excited when we first saw the, the brochures come out in our letterbox because we weren't getting a waste incinerator. It was an advanced energy recovery centre. And they weren't going to burn waste. They were going to combust waste at high temperatures and produce green energy. <laughs> and the artist's impressions were incredible. We saw this yeah, thing Yeah, I've where, seen some of them. They oh, it was great. It had a chocolate river that went through yeah, it. People and people and going Yeah, past. and coming out of the yeah. massive stack was um, candy. <laughs> it was fairy flossy candy. It was amazing. The kids loved it. But as you say, at the moment, it is employing people, mainly PR people, public relations people. Um, and that's where we're at at the moment. That's what we're up against. Yeah. So, I mean, what's the? I mean, there's a lot of these things overseas, particularly. What's the experience over there with, with the mix of stuff that's going in there? Well, I mean, our understanding is that there are uh, European uh, countries are actively trying to back away from these now. 
Um, so I know um, only well, last week, I think, there was a council in uh, the UK that actively um, denied Veolia uh, permission to build one of these. It was in Way, um, a county called Way, and they actively uh, voted against uh, letting Veolia build one because people are becoming more and more aware of the fact that promises have been made by these companies and about how safe they are and um, those promises have been found to not be true to have um, to and and that these facilities have actually started to lead to um, toxicity building up in the local communities so last year also there was a one of the incinerators in uh, Switzerland that was found to have contaminated and and you know the those um, European nations have been you know they were to take up on the incinerators, um, but they're starting to be found more and more that over a period of time, the toxins that have been deposited around these incinerators have uh, been are found to be toxic and, and are contaminating food supplies and things. So there's the one in Switzerland last year after studies were done, I think it was a 10-kilometre radius around uh, that particular incinerator. They were advised not to eat any food that was produced in that region. So, I mean, we... we uh, sit in an agricultural region and uh, we're scared for what this is going to do to our industries and our community and our water supplies. But the European nations have started to back away and um, we believe that's one of the reasons why uh, companies like Veolia have started to target Australia to build these now because they know... Just because like we have a stupid week, government? Would that be the reason? <laughs> oh, I'm not going to say that, but I'm going to say they have a great PR team and companies like Veolia realising that um, they're losing favour in places like Europe where they've had these for a long time and the facts are starting to become clear. They're, they're toxic and they poison communities and they poison food supplies and uh, so now they're moving on to Australia because uh, they're being shut down and shut out of Europe. Yes, and when you mention water supplies, there's something that's really important here and this could set a precedence is we drink our tank water. Uh, Tarrigo in our area, we don't have a centralised water supply. We all are reliant on our rainwater that lands on our roofs and ends up in our tanks. So we're very susceptible to dust and any pollutants that are in the air. I'm so not all aware this plastic of, ash falling on your roof getting yeah, washed into your rainwater into our, tanks. Straight yeah. into our tanks, yes. And we've all had the experience in recent years with droughts and things where it does make our water taste very dusty, where we have to often get our tanks clean and things. So it's quite frightening to sort of think that our homes, the local school, our whole water supply comes from rainwater. Mm-hmm. So why why build this incinerator if the rest of the world is moving away from waste incineration? Like, is there, is there not an alternative to, to dealing with the situation? Well, it's hard to know. I guess they they with the greenwashing you mentioned before, it's all about green energy for them and being able to dispose of this waste. I guess you could look at it as probably extending the life of the massive landfill operations out there at the moment. But if you look at it any any way I look at it, it just does not stack up, even the economics of it. Um, they're bringing this waste hundreds and hundreds of kilometres after handling it several times to burn it around Tarrego. Veolia own a lot of land in Sydney already. 
Um, Dominic Paraday's got some land close to his home, which I'm sure they could use for this incinerator as well. So if this thing is so good for the environment, why do they have to increase the waste miles so much so they can burn it in Because there's more people that are going to scream at them in Sydney than they are in Tarago, right? They're, exactly. So someone, there was a farmer in your region who said, you know, they're treating the Tarago residents like peasants. That's exactly right. But as the PR people say, like, mm-hmm. we need to create more jobs in places like Tarago rather than Sydney. <laughs> so who are, I guess it, who, sorry, I was going to say, also, coming back to that, why aren't they going to build it in Sydney? I guess, you know, um, the New South Wales government's put out an energy from waste infrastructure plan, and uh, that explains that, and, and I'm going to quote here, that they're using the precautionary principle as their justification <laughs> for banning these facilities in Greater Sydney. Right, so it's precautionary there, but not here. Here, so let's follow the money a bit. How do this? How is this getting funded? Who's doing the payment for it? Well, I mean, Veolia is claiming it will cost them six hundred million dollars to build, and uh, apart from that, we um, we can't really work out where any other money is coming from. Now, I have no doubt that they'll be putting their hand out for, for grants and funding from the state government. Uh, we have, um, only in the past couple of weeks, we put in a request for information from the New South Wales government, a, a government information public access request, um, and we asked about um, how it came to be that Tarago was assessed as suitable, um, and they wouldn't release the information to us. They said it was cabinet in confidence. And, I mean, we are curious as to how Tarago became one of only four sites in New South Wales that was suitable for this, and the particular site that they picked is privately owned by Veolia. Yeah, there's a clean energy fund too nationally, <laughs> and we do know that the current government is quite supportive of waste incineration as being classified as green energy, mm-hmm. whereby they can apply for funds under the, the clean energy fund. So, And we also know that, I guess, part of our opposition to this is talking to as many people as possible, local politicians at both the state, federal level, as well as all the local councils and things. And now Angus Taylor, he keeps flogging this off as it's a state issue. You know, local farmland, the health of the people in my electorate isn't my issue. It's actually a state issue. Um, But we do know he's publicly supported these sort of projects in the past. Well, there is an election coming up, and we are doing an election series, so we're going to be taking questions from the listeners. So if you want to fire them in, we'll ask them for you. Excellent. Speaking of money, so I'd, I was reading that one of the plants that was operating in Denmark, I believe, it was no longer economically viable because they weren't getting enough waste to burn to make a profit. So they started trucking more waste in just to keep the plant going. Like, that's how insane it is. So there's, you know, they're, they're spending, um, you know, emissions to bring waste to the incinerator just to keep the incinerator going when it's no longer actually viable financially or practically or ethically in any capacity. Yeah, and this is the first incentives that come about from these sort of projects, mm-hmm. that they get prioritised funding, which is taking efforts away mm-hmm. from proper recycling and proper things to take that waste away from these sort of streams. It's Yeah, it's quite terrible. And these things have to be fed. Mm-hmm. Like They just can't switch them off. They have to be fed. And even when... They need to sort of clean out the scrubbers and things. They have to keep the thing going, and that's when these waste incinerators vent into the atmosphere and pump, you know, unfiltered dioxins and pollutants into the clean air of our area. 
It's just horrendous that this has been allowed to happen. Um, and there was no consultation, community consultation with Tarago residents, I understand, when this was put in other than the you know the PR greenwashing there was no sort well, of consultation about impact again when it comes to the community there's no objections there's just interest <laughs> it's just the words that they use about all this sort of stuff and yeah it's it's a sort of thing where Otarigo is a mix of long-term residents and a lot of new people moving out to the area were growing quite rapidly and it's just an awareness thing really uh, Violia has made our immediate region aware but not our neighbours who are going to be severely impacted by this as well both in terms of the transportation of ways to feed this thing as well as as the air quality and you know uh, where this thing is being situated as as Paige mentioned before is there's three local councils in that area but there's also three very different water catchments um, it's only going to be about 20 kilometres from Bungendore, and Bungendore is also reliant on water that either comes from localised bores from the Lake George catchment or their own rainwater. This thing is only a few kilometres from the, f- the foreshores of Lake George. And then if we look at the Yass Valley Council, all the rainwater that lands there ends up in South Australia. So where we are located is quite unique, and our water catchment is the Sydney water catchment. So really... You know, it might only be little amounts going into these water catchments at first, but it just builds up and builds up over time before, you know, it's a problem, it's, it's too late. And then is this, this dealing with this plastic dust? Is that what they're sort of referring to as microplastics? Um, I think it's going to get into the water system? It's so? more likely um, the dioxins from the smoke itself okay. landing. So it, it's micro. Um, I think it's probably been converted into something else by then, but it's, it's, the, it's the smoke and the other toxins, the dioxins mm-hmm. and things like that. Well, maybe we should talk about the, the process. How, how does one of these plants actually work? Uh, I mean, so, I mean, as, as, as Sid has said, I mean, they're already shipping garbage. So they'll just continue to ship that in, probably more and more on our roads and uh, via train. And then, as we understand from their lovely little diagrams, it just gets shipped by, it gets put into the back of a truck and taken up, and then just gets, the feedstock just gets fed in. Whatever's in those containers, then I, I understand they're not doing any sorting up there. So they'll just, whatever comes out, they just throw it in and burn it. And, um, yeah, I mean, that, that's pretty much the crux of it. And then what comes from that, though, is, as, as Sid said, there's persistent organic pollutants, which are commonly known as POPs. Paige, if, if you can maybe move to a slightly better spot, we're just sort of getting Sorry. Some, some funny sort of uh, phone stuff coming through. There we go. Is that better? Sounds good. Yeah. Yep, okay. So we have... Um, so there'll be persistent organic pollutants that come out and then also nano, nanoparticles. And they come out as dioxins and furans, which, which when ingested, they stay in, they stay in animals' bodies. Um, they can't be uh, eradicated. So there's that. But then the other problem is so that's what's coming out the top. But people seem to think that this is some magical, magical fairy process. When they burn it, nothing, there's nothing else left. That's why so steam comes out the top, and that's the end of it. That's not the case at all. So I understand that 30 percent of what goes in is left as even more toxic fly ash and sludge at the bottom of these incinerators, which then has to be dealt with. So, so it has to be then dumped somewhere, yeah, in other words. Right, oh, so. yeah. So, um, and there's no... And it's toxic. And so I understand, uh, although we can't confirm it, that they were planning on um, burying that in concrete containers on site. 
<laughs> in concrete containers. Yeah. Like this yeah, is getting right. less green by the second. You it know? is. We just we just don't know much about what happens in the burning process itself mm-hmm. because that's where we're dealing with artist impression. But in terms of a lot of the infrastructure, it's already in place mm-hmm. because you know six days a week we have three locomotives pull over seventy uh, containers of compressed waste along the railway line past my house, like a few hundred metres from my house. We get that every morning and then they unload that and then take it by truck. So this is at our end and already at the other end, garbage trucks are coming in to deal with this waste and then compress it in these containers. So it's a massive process already. And you can sort of see why somewhere like Tarrio is being favoured for this because the infrastructure is already in place. And unfortunately, that's what we're up against. It's, this is the beast that we're up so against. So you're a great convenience for the unethical. We, we are. And, mm. you know, I... I'm not against what Violi is doing with their bioact at the moment. Like it's 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 better to actually bury waste and harvest the methane to turn that into energy. And we're we're dealing with that. We're dealing with all the traffic movements, the truck movements, the train movements, and something we haven't even mentioned yet, the odor. You know, Violi has already whacked us with so many issues. We, we, it's impacted on our lives. Yeah. So I guess something we haven't even talked about so far is, you know, when is it beyond a fair go? We're happy to work with Veolia to make the best of what we're currently dealing with, but we can't take any more. Our community can't take any more. Like, it's a breaking point. So many of us, it's affecting people's mental health, and you can see that in, in people's responses to the councils and dealing with this issue. So, you know, we're more than happy to deal with what we're currently being dealt with, but we just don't want something additional. Oh. Well, I understand that, you know, when the proposal was put forward, there were other councils that outright rejected this plan. They took one look at it and said, no way, it's not coming. Yep, and all our local councils have done the same now too. Mm. So, you know, I think the one I was reading was Queen Bin Palarang, and that that was the third council to denounce the project. That's it, yeah, and it took them quite a while to do that. Um, I think largely it was a change of councillors because... Did somebody have property near that? Well, well, that's one thing. But another thing, too, is currently they're already taking the waste. Mm. So Veolia has contracts to take waste from these councils to deal with it at the facility that's four kilometres or five kilometres from Tarrago Village. So it's, it's a bit difficult. And the other thing, too, is your previous guest was talking a lot about floods and the flood waste and things like that. And there was a lot of talk about the bushfires. Veolia did... I guess a good community thing by taking a lot of the bushfire waste from the whole South Coast region, um, which is a, a good thing. It had to go somewhere. It was full of crap. It was full of asbestos, dust. It was full of everything. So Tarrigo was more than happy, or well, not more than happy, but we put up with 90 to 100 truck movements every day for months and months and months to go through the village to take this waste because you know it was in the community interest to do that. But I guess nothing's for free so obviously there was negotiations that went on between the new south wales government and Veolia to take all that bushfire waste because it takes up the capacity uh, at the mine so so yeah so i guess it's, it's always a diff- difficult thing to sort of separate i guess the business of the councils with Veolia before they can actually outright say they're going to oppose this sort of project but is this unique opportunity to just bypass the whole incinerator or incinerating waste and jump to something with sustainable zero waste you know just cut out the whole incinerator process is you know is there a way that that can be done so that we're not going through you know sort of old outdated methods of um well, that's, breaking down the waste that's the whole challenge for australia at the moment and we can see in victoria they've announced they're going to bring in a new bin 
uh, a new coloured lidded bin just for glass and things like that to sort of try to improve the value of that stream of waste. And that's the way of the future. Um, you know, the container deposit scheme, once that came in, huge amounts of aluminium glass is now being recycled, and it's clean waste, which means that the people at the other end who process it are much more keen to do it because they're not dealing with contaminants. Mm. And I know personally as a worm farmer, uh, since the container deposit scheme came in in Canberra, the contamination of bottles and things has plummeted. <laughs> so it's had an, a massive impact in a positive way on the organic waste that my business is dealing with. Mm. So the solutions are out there, but you just need to have the political will both at the state and federal level and innovation as well. <laughs> I lived in um, Canada for a long time and that they had already implemented in British Columbia what you're describing. So there, I think there's like four or five separate bins on recycling day for collection that are separated everything out. And then if you live in a smaller community like Tarago where you don't have curbside pickup of your bins and you take it to a dedicated recycling centre, it's your responsibility as the um, resident to separate out your waste. You can take it all in, in one bin, but then when you get to the centre, you separate it into the positive bins. And it's down to the different types of plastic bags even, you know, like the crinkly plastic plastic, the soft plastic, the clamshell type things you get with your salad, um, you know, all of these have their own bins that they go to, even Ziploc bags have their own bins, you know, um, CD cases, when we used to have CDs, <laughs> their own bins, so all of this sort of stuff was um, dedicated to be recycled, but it was already separated out, there, there weren't um, requirements to go through a whole bunch of, you know, messy, dirty, toxic things to, to pull out what was useful. Yeah, it can be done, source separation, that's, and, and that's exactly these the centres employed a lot of people to help the residents with the separation. Absolutely. And I think the other problem is too, I think when you, and it goes to that quote that, that you read uh, from myself at the beginning of this, that when you build an incinerator like this and you say, we can burn all your plastic, it's all good, where's the incentive for people to actually stop producing the plastic? I mean, I think everybody acknowledges plastics is a big problem and it will be continue to be a problem unless it's actively, uh, people actively start moving away from it. When you build something like an incinerator, then you're essentially giving them permission to continue as business as usual. So it's no, an no, enabling thing, right? Absolutely. Yeah. There's no repercussions. Indeed. So until companies that are producing the plastic, um, you know, are required to start reducing it or, you know, they're paying a price for it um, and they think they can just stick it in an incinerator out here and it's out of sight, out of mind, then there's no incentive for them to stop doing what they're doing. And, yeah, the plastic, yes, a lot of the plastic will get burnt here, but then a lot of it won't. It still ends up in the oceans. It still ends up, you know, in poorer nations where countries like ours start shipping it. So whilst we, when we're building incinerators, we're essentially giving big multinational companies permission to continue producing the pollutants. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> Janine Benyus, um, who's the founder of the biomimicry sort of stuff that you might have heard about. She's done the research and found that nature uses five different polymers to do everything with. And look at all the stuff in nature, you know, wood, our bodies and all of this stuff, all five different polymers. And with our plastic production, every time we want to do a new thing, we produce a new polymer and we're, we're using all of this out of oil, of course. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that there's a massive industry in producing polymers which are plastics to uh, that can rot that don't last forever because that's the problem with plastics they last forever mm -hmm. whereas in nature well, everything we have, rots. we have biodegradable plastics some of them oh to some extent yes yeah so it's only 200 years instead of 400 years to break yeah, down. that's right yeah <laughs> 
Yeah, but there's a lot of cellulose and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's up and coming, but legislating to uh, to mandate that would give a great kick to the industry, just like it did to solar. Yep. Mm-hmm. And that yep. is happening to some extent in Canberra. Yeah. And Canberra's always the leading jurisdiction when it comes to sort of progressiveness of dealing with waste. Yeah. So, um... <laughs> Oh dear. <laughs> Can I ask you a question while you're thinking? Yeah, go. So I said, I remember when we had you on for um, the worm show, um, you talked about that the worms could eat some of the biodegradable plastic. So people had bags of compost, right, that they were popping into the worm farm yep. that were biodegradable compost bags. So is that what the worms were actually able to consume that? Uh, well, it really depends how they've been made. Um, there's, I guess, what they call bioplastics now, which are so made like more out of vegetable plastic, oils. Yeah. But corn-based products, not a problem. Anything that's made out of rice starches and any other starches, not a problem at all. The worms will consume it, and it's great. They love it. It gives a good mix. It holds moisture quite nicely. It becomes really nice castings in the end. Mm. But there's certain plastics which take out, even though they're called biodegradable plastics, because they just break down into smaller bits of plastics mm. faster. They're actually designed to break down faster, mm. and those sort of ones I don't trust. So just because it will break down in the worm farm doesn't mean we should let it. Mm. So we take those sort of things out. Depends what breaking down means. Exactly right, yep. But, you know, compostable um, products are usually pretty good when they're called compostable. It's just when they're called biodegradable that we're a bit wary. Mm -hmm. But bamboo and all those sort of things that we're seeing emerge more and more in Canberra now because of of the government policy here is great for the worms. Mm It's really nice. So we see bamboo cutlery instead of yeah, plastic yeah. cutlery. That's yeah, yeah. Thinking. And I, I did a little film recently of some bamboo cutlery that just is so floppy. <laughs> it's so bendy. It's just because the, the microbes have already started to break it down, ready for the worms to finish off. Yeah. So I guess I'm just going to move into greenwashing, but I'm going to introduce a concept of the, the food cycle. So there's fungus which eats the bedrock and creates the soil, and then after that you've got input from the sun through photosynthesis and then it just starts cycling and cycling and cycling something eats something else and when it dies it becomes a free lunch for the next person nature runs on free lunches Um, (laughs) so you've got the luncheon cycle going along and we have come along with our our linear thinking and our linear linear industries and now we grab the food out of the area it's in truck it to a city and then either chuck it away or burn it but or bury it what we're doing is taking the nutrients and the energy and everything else that's contained in that and making it toxic and the only true waste is waste that's been made toxic mm. because otherwise it will go back into the luncheon cycle mm. um so yeah it's it's the Veolia, I looked at some of their promotional stuff and they're carrying on about, uh, what was it, the circular economy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we had Neil, Minnie and Steve on talking about a real circular economy and the waste incinerator didn't look like it fit into that picture. No, it didn't. No. <laughs> no. Yeah. Well, no. So we're missing out on our free lunches because we're poisoning our own lunch. Exactly. Sorry right. there, Paige, you wanted to jump in? No, I was going to say, so they're actively, so they, they do, I've seen them talk publicly about the circular economy and that they seem to somehow think they're part of it um but reality i mean when you just uh, you know a five-year-old could look at a picture of a circle and the circular economy and realize that burning it is actively taking out taking it out of that circular economy and as you've said just making it toxic so yeah mm-hmm. it's, it's it's interesting greenwashing from them and in that they keep saying it and hope that people 
are, are too stupid to realise the, the reality of what they're doing. And we haven't even mentioned the MBT yet, Paige. <laughs> <laughs> the MBT was their previous huge investment in the Tarago region, the Mechanical Biological Treatment Facility, which cost 60 to $70 million. Very impressive facility. I was there for the opening watch to be set up, but it's effectively 45 massive Bays, which is used for composting, but leading into that are these incredibly huge tumblers. They're absolutely massive. You can drive a four-wheel drive underneath them. And the whole idea is 125,000 tonnes of general waste. The red bin was going to go into those. These tumblers are going to slowly turn it around to remove all the contaminants so the organics went through, beautiful organics, which would then be composted. But unfortunately, we're talking about the general waste bin. They're trying to get the organics out of the general waste bin are turned into compost. And you should see the piles of compost they have there now, like just the way it glistens in the sun because of all the glass in it, and the broken glass has been shattered. So it's great in theory, but again, it's missing the point. It's about source separation. It's about doing the right thing so it yeah, doesn't it get in that red bin human, in the first place. The human oh. element, the individual human element. Like exactly. We are perfectly capable of separating our waste we've yeah. just like the incinerator enables companies the recycling system makes us lazy yep. and enables us exactly right? yep so i mean um you know that project i don't think it's been publicly called a failure um they have contracts of several uh, councils up in sydney but the whole composting bay side has got huge potential like the way they're doing that could work really well if they get clean waste in there to compost because it pumps air up through it so, so it's, it's actually, dedicated they dedicated to that yes yeah. but the whole sorting thing with the tumblers is just i just think in my opinion it was a complete failure mm. Mm. and i guess I, I i sort of think i absolutely agree with uh, everything that that sid's just said and i guess you know this contributes to our concerns about how they're going to be able to run this incinerator because we have the bioreactor which as Sid has said I mean I think it's been running for about 20 years now Sid and it's it there's been ongoing problems that have never been resolved yes. problems to this day with odor with leaking um, garbage juice from the containers that they're shipping from Sydney with them um, actually taking over the amount of waste that they're supposed to at that facility and that was last year <laughs> so 20 years later so i'm not going to say that's a failure but there's ongoing issues which they seem unable or unwilling to resolve and then the facility that sid just spoke about that hasn't actually worked properly either despite all the fanfare all the greenwashing everything that they said about it and what it could be and what it would be that hasn't actually worked either yep. so the track record for yeah. facilities actually doing what they're claiming yep. not real good and the longer we've been put up with Eoli, the more it's impacting on us. There's no doubt about it, because the new residents don't realise that we have this history with Eolia. We have this history where we've seen the volume of waste go up and up and up. We've gone from the initial proposal back in the early 2000s, where there'd be no odour, to there'd be minimal odour. And they brush a lot of the odour under the carpet, but I've kept the diary for over 10 years, and we know that it's been absolutely shocking. I think the only positive thing to come about from this current ARC proposal, this waste incinerator, 
is we had a massive odour issue just before they announced it. Like, massive. Like, the first three months of last year, I had over 50 mm. cases of shocking odour in my diary. It was terrible, absolutely terrible. We had friends that were visiting just could not believe it. And well, you think it, it would be similar to the bushfire smoke that came through. Exactly, yeah, exactly right. And we'd only just dealt with that too. But they... They've spent a lot of money. There's been a lot of truckloads of, I don't know what, going out there to cover up the smell, and it has had a bit of an impact. Like this year, to date this year, I've only got 10 entries of odour issues in my diary, and I say only because that's not many, but I guess to people that might be living in Canberra... Like, but if that was happening in Sydney, and there were 10 happen. issues of odour from 1st of yeah. January to now, people would be up at arms, exactly let alone right. having 50 in a month. Exactly right, yes. But as I mentioned before, like you know, we, we've been working with Violi for so long about dealing with this, and they put so much down into fugitive gas emissions, fugitive which they've got to capture. Because they've got these it. lovely words that they yeah, use. Exactly, yeah. But, you know, this, it is... The biorack that we're currently dealing with has been there for almost, well, I think it's about 16, 17 years now. Um, we sort of, we know it, we're used to it, we, we know when the odour's going to be bad because it's certain climatic conditions or rainfall events early in the morning effects. We sort of, we're, we're getting used to that and they can do more and more to try to, to deal with that. Um, but they still haven't got it right. Was well, this time. because there's no sort of prototype testing in any practical way? They just conceptualise well, it and then it comes in and you become the prototype. Exactly, it was so big it was such a big, we were talking about a whole 250 metres deep, it's absolutely massive and if you go online and have a look at the photos of it, it's incredible seeing this massive cavity which is now getting quite full alongside Lake George but even their modelling, I was part of the Violi Liaison Committee early on um, even their modelling, which they were quite happy to put in the Tarrago Times our local rag about the gas being created on how much they're capturing it. And it was all based on modelling, modelling of the proportion of organics and the waste they're putting out there and things. Anyway, quite often the models show that they're capturing 115 to 120% of the gases. <laughs> Is the model right? <laughs> no, well, it's not. not. You can smell it. So you got to re. Yeah, but then when it got down to seventy-five percent, I have to do something. I said, "Hey, if you recalibrate your model, it's actually fifty percent." Yeah. So it's it was all quite new, and you know it was a very ambitious project, and you know that's what we've been living with for a very long time. Yeah. Well, it sort of sounds similar to an architect drawing up some lovely plans and then handing them to a builder, and the poor bloody builder's <laughs> got to figure out how to make the thing works. <laughs> so true. Yeah. Um, I want to get back to the incinerator now. Um, there, I'm sure, like, this is a burning stuff. Burning your rubbish is not a new technology. So I'm sure there's a, a massive range of different technologies that, that people have developed over the years to do this. And what, what sort of technology are they using or proposing to use here? Is it, like, whiz-bang, extra-scrubbed, wonderful stuff which heats the whole village of Tarago, or...? <laughs> Uh, I mean, look, they they, um, they point to other incinerators that they have around the world um, and they point to those and say, look, that one's doing okay, this one will too. And, um, I mean, they claim, you know, the, the, I don't know what you would call it, gases, toxins are scrubbed on their way out and all that's coming out is steam. And we know that to be an untruth. And um, they they actively put that out originally, and that nothing they literally put on their Q and A's that nothing toxic would come out of the stack, which we know to be untrue. So they've actively amended those to say it's under uh, under required levels now. Um, 
But the fact that their information is so flexible is the nicest way I'm going to put that. It makes it really difficult for us to really get a grasp on it. But they just point to the other incinerators that they have and how they're so great. And as such, this one will be great too. Mm, yeah, because a few decades ago, I guess it was just a circle of rocks and you put it in a pile and put a match on it. That's right. <laughs> that was yeah. it. But back then there wasn't a huge content of plastic. So so I guess they do talk about being very contained. It's a completely contained system with containment lines and what comes out of the stack is highly scrubbed for sure. But you still have to change <laughs> those scrubbers of those filtering systems. They have to be changed and they have to keep the thing burning when they're being changed so whatever's getting through there that's one issue but what happens when they're changing that filtration system is another issue because that's when you get that venting mm. and that's just quite and then you've frightening. got that, that sludge that when they've broken that's it down right. you've still got this even more toxic sludge as and page was saying and now we're thinking it seems, about seems to be that when when the plant's up and running and fully operational this is when the measurements are done internationally <laughs> and they've got a, a state called other than normal operating conditions which is when all the emissions come out. So this might be starting it or stopping it or cleaning it. When they put the yeah. choke on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Well, we've already seen, like, and we know is a very windy spot. I'm sure anyone driving along Lake well, George Well, there's a wind farm out wind there. Wind farm, yeah, 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 exactly, yeah. And, I mean, it was designed to blow all the bad odours away. Mm-hmm. That's why they put it in. <laughs> but, yeah, 25 of those wind turbines are actually on Veolia's land <laughs> within a few hundred metres of, of the void or where this waste is going. Yeah, we'll, we'll put in a nice green wind farm for you that's actually just going to move the smell away so you we'll don't know how bad yep. it is. Yep, we'll blow it away from Canberra and make sure it doesn't get here. Well, still day, you could run the turbines backwards and blow the smell away. <laughs> I guess something else too, with regards to the technology, I understand that um, there actually is no ability for them to do real-time monitoring. That is my understanding, is that there's no ability to do real-time monitoring of what is coming out of the stacks. And I understand under the New South Wales licensing requirements that they won't actually be required to do that anyway. So, um, I mean, how would we know? How would we really know what is coming out? Because I can't imagine any company is going to be particularly forthcoming if it's bad news. No, we've, we've seen that over and over again. You know, they'll, they'll keep burying information to push an agenda and, you know, whatever sort of corporate monies is helping pave the way for them. I imagine, you know, that's dependent on keeping their shareholders happy. They're not going to want their stocks to go down. Yeah. So persistent organic pollutants, have you got a handle on what these are? Because that's a lot of what gets produced by uh, burning plastics. So, I mean, I'm not a scientist by any means, um, but I understand it's made up of things like uh, dioxins and furans, and and those are the kind of uh, toxins that bioaccumulate in organisms. And so as you were talking previously about essentially the food chain and uh, things going through it, uh, as uh, those toxins land in our water and in our farmland, uh, those particular toxins will bioaccumulate in any of the organi- organisms that eat them. So obviously we're at the, the, pretty much the top of the food chain out here. Uh, so any of those toxins that are going into our uh, livestock, which we've got a lot out here, and lots of sheep, lots of cattle, um, it's going into the livestock, so those toxins um, are going to bioaccumulate in them, and then they'll bioaccumulate in the humans when we eat it. So, um, and then you know, obviously we're breathing it, uh, where we humans are just straight up ingesting it, and uh, we're drinking it. So, um, with yeah, 
this is an organic pollutant. So I understand these things just uh, they are as would you would suggest they persist. <laughs> they, they do go away and they don't break down. Yeah. I understand there's a lot of lead and mercury as well as the dioxins and furans that are going into the air. And you know how funny they get when they discover lead paint in a building and suddenly you know the building's shut and enclosed for a you know twelve month period, but they're quite happy to spew this out into your community. Yeah, yeah, and it wouldn't be the first time our communities had um, lead contamination from industry either. Mm. Yeah. So it was, it was discovered a few years ago that uh, our, it's through the, on the rail corridor, which you know Bungadors had the same issue on the rail and. Uh, uh, along the railway corridor in the middle of Tarago, they've um, they discovered there was a lot of historical contamination from the mine that, that the uh, rubbish now goes into, mm. and um, a lot of people in town. I don't know if it was you said, but a, a, a lot of people in town have had to have their water tanks cleaned. And I know the school, Tarago School, has not been able to drink the water. The kids haven't been able to drink. I have kids that go to that school. Uh, they haven't been able to drink water at that school since lead contamination was discovered uh, in 2020. Yeah, that was a terrible thing. I mean, it was a rail siding they're putting in to support the Violi operation because they're bringing in more carriages and they had to take those carriages off the main line. And that's why they insisted on putting it there. Um, we've since found out there was prior knowledge that there was a lead issue there and they went ahead with the works anyway. They decided to do the works during the big drought. <laughs> it was... It was drought, it was dusty, it was windy, and it affected a large number of households. And I know, yeah, it's, there's still people that can't, or there's one family in particular that still can't live in that household, and they had quite high levels of lead in their blood. And I know personally, we the water was tasted so terrible in our house, we actually stopped drinking and cleaned out the tanks and was buying in water. And I think that saved us to some extent, but we still had to get tested for lead, and it's not much fun holding down your two-year-old as, as they're trying to take enough vials of blood out of it to test it for lead. Um, it was highly preventable because it was, it was known that lead was there, and you just don't disturb mm. it. So, again, you know, it's another but thing our communities had to that deal when with. When I hear you yeah. say that it's already known about, and they yeah. go ahead anyway, yeah. this is what you're dealing with. This exactly. is why you're not going to get rational behaviour from these people, right? Yeah. They're quite happy to use you as, as expendable in this. You yeah. know, they have whether it's uh, to test the operations well, or just because they think you don't have a big enough voice to stop anything. I think they want to reward us by doing more. Yeah. <laughs> What else can we do to these people? <laughs> Let's bring in some three hundred eighty thousand and burn any, it now. Anyone that's that's a joke. Got that that level of um, or that lack of uh, conscious yeah. um, mm. empathy, oh. yeah, they don't. They shouldn't be anywhere near oh. projects that impact communities. Oh, that was it. We had so many people coming in to test the lead. And they found lead in our house, mm -hmm. um, in our train carriages that we have there, which I use for my business. They found lead in areas that we weren't expecting, even though we vacuumed so much. But then they sent in the second team that were trying to show that it was actually due to lead paint and things like that, rather than this event that happened over a four or five month period. Yeah, what can you do about it? We just had to give up fighting. <laughs> and it's exhausting for all of you, it too. Is. Right? There's only you know, so much you can do. Yeah. Now, that's a really topical sort of issue for the fly ash. You, you, so you wind up with about 30% of the mass of the stuff that goes in there as this ash, this toxic ash. 
And I know with uh, depleted uranium, the, the stuff that they finished with in the nuclear reactors, they found all sorts of wonderful uses for that <laughs> and put it in airplanes as ballast and ships and stuff and put it in concrete and shoot it at people and contaminate whole countries with it. Uh, what are they doing with the fly ash? What are the uses for this wonderful fly ash, which has become toxic waste? Well, I... Um, several weeks ago, the managing director, the CEO of, of Viola Operations in Australia, Richard Kirkman, came down and he, he met with the Viola Liaison Committee. Um, apparently they use it for making um, green concrete. Green, green concrete? concrete. Is that they, radioactive they can, green? They can turn or? it concrete and road base and things like that, apparently. Mm -hmm. that's, how, that's how they use some so of the So it's any green in the so fact they're reusing a product. They're, they're talking about reusing the ash as well. So, I mean, I guess... I, if, if there is a trust issue, which I'm pretty sure there is with Veolia, I'm quite dubious about that. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, isn't it, Sid? I mean, I guess they talk a big game about the things that will happen, the things that we will do, the promises that they make to our community and to the government. And then the reality is, is so often has been a very different concept. Yeah. yeah, and I guess, yeah, exactly right. And, you know, I did appreciate seeing the CEO, Richard Kirkman, come to Tarrigo to talk because I don't think at that point he even realised that we drink our own tank water. He was quite shocking. Do you filter it? <laughs> do you do it? But like, really? <laughs> so I guess that was good. So, And it was quite interesting too that around the table only bottled water was handed out. Well, this, yeah, this is the situation you run into again and again. You know, people in positions of privilege, whether it be through ignorance or, or willful ignoring, um, just aren't aware mm. of, of how people live outside of that privilege. Yep. Exactly. And they make decisions based on that. I think the latest one I saw yesterday was um, about someone complaining about the rising petrol prices because of the conflict in Ukraine. And someone said, well, just th if they don't like petrol prices, they should just go buy electric cars. <laughs> <laughs> With what money? <laughs> but again, it was this, this total lack of awareness around yeah. what the average person was experiencing. Yes. <laughs> So what sort of support have you been getting? You've mentioned that the councils are all behind it. There's, um, there's quite, a, quite a broad sort of support for, uh, for having uh, anti-demand, <laughs> for not having it, <laughs> whatever that word is. Uh, so as we've been um, trying to get awareness uh, from local communities, I think a lot of communities are just shocked, and I think a lot of them just thought... Uh, as per the existing bioreactor, that this problem would belong to Tarrago and it would stay there. You know, they get the smell, oh, poor them, but they're going to get the incinerator too. And I don't think a lot of local communities uh, really understood how far um, the plume could move from the proposed incinerator. So it can go all the way from, you know, as we discussed, our plotting is shown, and it's a plotting that's produced for us by a group in the UK who has a lot of experience doing this. Um, it can move anywhere from, you know, really within a 40k radius around here. So, you know, that hits Goulburn, yeah. hits us, hits Bungador, Collector, all the way to Gundaroo, Gunning, Queanbeyan, and Canberra. It, it hits all, it can have, it will have the potential to hit all of them. And so, slowly, as awareness has grown, as Sid said, councils have gotten on board and actively opposed it. And after some persuasion, Wendy Tuckerman, our local state member, has come out. She's a Liberal. She's yeah. come out and she's actively opposed it for us as well. So um, That was just before they made her a new minister, wasn't it? Yes, it was. As awareness has grown, so support has grown because it doesn't take a rocket scientist to understand the very severe impact 
that this is going to have on the area. Yeah, a big shift, I think, was was the Goulburn Mulwari Council and, and both Paige and myself presented at that, and that was... I'm sure at that stage, council was sitting back saying, well, we'll wait till we see more about the proposals about, and then make a decision about whether we support it or not. Because, again, you know, they get a lot of funding through the Mawari Trust, the, the old Mawari Trust for projects around Goulburn and things like that. Oh, really? And there were 17 presenters at, at that, and you could just see the councillors shift. And I, I would challenge anyone to watch those talks and not cry. <laughs> it was quite quite emotional it really was and at the end of it it was unanimous that all the councillors pretty much said we oppose this project now and one of the councillors even said this is the biggest decision this council has made in the last five years so that's the sort of shifts that we see when people are starting to think about it and consider it and look at the impact that it's actually having on the people who are closest to it also though the support goes much wider um obviously locally around here and the councils and that's starting to spread but also the support uh, of communities such as ours goes all the way to Sydney so there are councils in Sydney that are actively so you know West Council for instance in Sydney they've actively uh, passed a motion that they won't send any of their garbage and nor can their contractors send any of their garbage to, in, to, to be incinerated so I mean the understanding of the impact of these things is, is growing it's not just us, it's not just uh, the fact that we will be directly impacted. There are other groups and other councils and other communities around the state who will be equally impacted, and if not impacted, understand the, the repercussions for the communities that will be. And so are actively trying to move against it, or the state government is actively trying to implement them. Mm. And isn't there another proposal for an incinerator in Western Sydney? Oh, no, that one was... Um, that one was uh, declined. Their proposal was declined, even though, um, as Viola themselves have told me, Viola's proposal is exactly the same as the one that was proposed for Western Sydney. Uh, that one was declined because of a potential risk to human health and the environment. Yeah, right. Go figure. Yeah, yeah. And there's the international um, international movements all over the world against these incinerators. Have you connected with those? Uh, as I said, I've been dealing with um, a couple of groups in the UK um, because they, you know, they're actively standing up and fighting against these now. So, uh, you know, we share information. And as I said, this group called Plume Plotter, who plots these things, uh, the impacts of incinerators around the world now, they've been actively helping us out to, you know, free of charge to just, uh, you know, try and help us fight from these things being, you know, once these things get a foothold here... Um, yeah, it's really hard to stop them. So, you know, one might be built in Tarragaris, but once that door is opened in New South Wales, it won't be shut again. It won't just be one. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Well, we're, we're going to run out of time shortly. Have you got any other questions there? Oh, no, I don't think we have any listener questions uh, come in today. Right. But, um, yeah, I would like people to know where they can go sign your petition page. Apparently there's a petition. So there's a... Um, there's a New South Wales Parliament petition that they can sign, but obviously you need to be in New South Wales to sign that. I understand uh, some, some of our Canberra supporters have put one together, but I direct people, if they want to find out more and, um, and uh, uh, find the petitions that they can sign for their particular state, um, we have a website set up. It's called uh, com. And that has a, a lot of, you know, scientific research that's on there, uh, links to papers, uh, uh, real time of the plume plots, that you know, predicted plume plots, 
and links to um, uh, the petitions that people can sign. And or there's a Facebook group, the Communities Against Tarago Incinerator, that they can join as well. And we try to keep them as up to date as we can, and we try to put information on those where you know how people can help because the petitions are one thing, but it's you know actively writing to politicians mm. and and. Um, you know, making responses to... Maybe you should do um, stink tours where people go up to Tarago <laughs> and get to whiff what it's like and realise that if they don't help support stopping this project, this is what they could be smelling in their backyard as well. Yeah. Well, I guess Canberra is indirectly involved because mm. some of their waste is going to the facility and the government here has a no-waste incinerator policy. So really, I think mm. locally, it would be great to see more lobbying of the local members within Canberra to put in a submission against mm. this thing ask more questions of Veolia, ask more guarantees from Veolia, I think there's a lot that Canberra can do because, mm. as Paige mentioned before, like we're talking about something that's only 70 yeah. kilometres away. Well, we're happy to put those questions to the politicians too because we will be having them in the chair right where you're sitting now, Sid. <laughs> so they'll have to come up with an answer right to our face there. Okay, excellent. I'll, I'll leave a, a protest sticker here for yeah. them. <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> so is there anything else you'd like to add before we wind up? Um, I guess we'll just thank you. I mean, it's just great to see the awareness being raised in a greater area because this sort of thing, even though it's having a massive local, potentially having a very massive local impact, it's 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 for the greater good too that we stop this. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Yeah, and thank thank you for helping us because we are a small community, and it's you know there's a core group of people who've been pushing this to try and get the information out there, and slowly but surely, um, you know, people are catching on just to how dire this. This could be for the entire region. Yeah, no worries. All right. Well, uh, yeah. Well, I guess we'll wind up. So you yeah. um, were listening earlier this morning to Dottie Janssen, who was talking about the flood relief going on up in the Northern Rivers area, and Dottie is one of the co-founders of Aussie Helping Hands, and you can go to their website if you want to find out how you can help the flood victims. And we've just heard Sid Riley and Paige Davis from the Communities Against the Tarago Incinerator telling us how we can stop that horrific project from going ahead. You have been listening to an episode of A Line in the Sound, the podcast made by Co-ops, Commons and Communities Canberra, Co-Canberra for short, the New Economy Network of Australia, or NINA, and Radio Behind the Lines from Community Radio 2XX 98.3 FM in Canberra, Australia. Co-Canberra is working towards a cooperative Commonwealth. Our work builds strong communities, extensive commons, and a network of climate cooperatives. The New Economy Network of Australia is a network of individuals and organisations working to transform Australia's economic system so that achieving ecological health and social justice are the foundational principles and the primary objectives of the economic system. Behind the Lines has been running for well over 30 years on Canberra's oldest community radio station, 2XX. We do extended interviews with anyone who's trying to make the world a better place. All three are volunteer-run, so if you like what you heard on this episode, join us and become the media. To join up with the New Economy Network of Australia, sign up at neweconomy.org.au. To help out with Behind the Lines, or to help our editing team finish off a mountain of good Australian New Economy info, which includes editing training, contact us at behindthelines98.3 at gmail.com and see 2XXFM.org.au where you can subscribe, donate and volunteer to Australia's only alternative voice, Community Radio. If you're not in Canberra, there's definitely one near you. To help out with CoCanberra, contact us at info at cocanberra.org.au That's C-O-C-A-N. 
bera.org.au or come along to our monthly meetups, which we share with Nina Canberra Regional Hub, where we explore any and all aspects of the new economy. Find out what we're up to at cocanberra.org.au. And finally, if you want to help fund me, Scotty, to go full-time with this and lots of other related work, look up LiberaPay, L-I-B-E-R-A-P-A-Y, and search for Community Supported Scotty. From there, you can find out about all my other projects and donate to help create a new appropriate economy. Thanks.